they did a pretty good job of recruiting, but they wanted to take it to the next level. And they asked me to help build their recruiting university, which included kind of best practices for sharing things on social media. You don't just ask for things on social media if you're trying to build a community. If you ask all the time, you're, you're going to burn out your list. You don't just ask, you give all the time. And then every once in a while, you ask. Five lessons, five fun facts, five listicles of things that might help someone find a new job. You give five times before you ever say, oh, and by the way, we're hiring, or hey, refer your friend to this job. And because you've become a good network citizen and built trust in your community, you're much more likely to get referrals for people to pick up the phone when you call them. This was very successful. They knew what they needed to do on a weekly basis in order to be able to post that one ask. Welcome to Talking TA with Top Source Talent, the podcast that brings you the latest insights, strategies, and trends in talent acquisition. Hosted by Denise Chaffin, president of Top Source Talent with over 30 years of experience in the industry, this podcast features top industry experts, HR professionals, recruiters, and talent acquisition leaders who will share their experiences and knowledge on how to attract and retain top talent. Join Denise and her guests as they explore the exciting and dynamic world of talent acquisition. Only on Talking TA with Top Source Talent. Hi, I'm Denise Chaffin, president of Top Source Talent. And with me today, I have Craig Fisher, who is the president of talentnetlive.com. Craig has just recently authored a book called Hiring Humans. So we'll be discussing both. And Craig, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you so you can introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we can get started. Thanks, Denise. My name is Craig Fisher, and I am a 25-year-ish veteran of the staffing and recruiting industry. I've done pretty much every job there is to do when it comes to hiring. I've been a hiring manager. I've been a recruiter. I've been a salesperson at a staffing organization. I've been a manager, director, owner, and now consultant. And I really enjoy solving recruiting problems, and especially when it comes to a better candidate experience for job seekers. Awesome. Very good. Well, I read your book and it's fabulous. And in fact, I think that this book really should be in the hands of all recruiters in every organization, regardless of the industry. One thing that I would like to start out with, in your first chapter, you talk about the AI bubble. And I think we should pop that bubble. Your introduction talks about the rise of AI and we're all hearing about that, obviously, right now. And people are afraid of AI. They're afraid of what it's going to do and how it's going to impact their own jobs. Mm-hmm. And you hear a lot of, in fact, we heard about it in the, we heard about it during the dot-com era. We heard about it when the internet first started. We heard this right before Y2K. And now here we are with AI, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things you bring up in your book that's so important is advancing the ability to craft our messaging to job candidates. But you also bring up the fact, which cannot be overstated, people want to work with people. Mm -hmm. And that's where we separate AI from what we do in talent acquisition. So I would like you to dive into that a little bit. Right. So one of the themes of this book, right? I mean, the overriding theme is, yeah, we've got all these cool tools and AI is, is very nifty and... In fact, 
it's all we hear about. And a large percentage of our HR technology is now either currently onboarded with AI or is trying to do that. My thought on this is, okay, great, but who's going to have the relationships with our job candidates, right? If we just automate everything. So hiring is a deeply human experience. Yeah. Always has been and really always should be. Right. And if if people want to work with people, which I suggest they do, and research also suggests this, that we, in fact, even tolerate work because of that social experience that we get from it, we can't automate our way out of a good relationship. Oh, I like that. And I also like, too, what you, you quoted Jerry Crispin. Yeah, Jerry's a good friend and mentor to me and a lot of people in our space. And he likes to say that someone still has to wind the clocks. <laughs> I like that. Right. So, yeah. And it's true. Someone still does have to wind the clocks. I believe that you're, you credit AI for advancing the ability to enhance our social media and our outreach to candidates, right? Mm -hmm. And using di various digital platforms. In fact, I spoke with another client last week who said, AI is great for efficiency, making us more efficient as recruiters, mm -hmm. but it can't replace us as recruiters because of the human aspect of it, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So AI is really great at summarizing things. It can look at a vast amount of data and tell you about it in a concise way, or it can restate it in a more concise way. That's a, that's a great efficiency, but so is automated calendars. Yeah. Right. So, right. All of these things that take non-recruiting activities out of recruiters' hands so that they can spend more time building relationships with candidates are great tools, but they are just that. They are tools. They are not set it and forget it. Someone has to use the tools. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, it takes us back to before the internet was even born, right? Uh -huh. And the fact that we had only, actually at the time, telephones and fax machines. And so our jobs were building relationships, and that's what we did, and that's how we recruited. Right. I absolutely love the story, and I would like you to share the story about Ross Dress for Less. My team did some work with Ross through a big RPO company that shall remain unnamed, Till they tell me it's okay to name them. <laughs> they hired us to help do some marketing when Ross wanted to consolidate hiring from multiple agencies to in-house. And this was for a warehouse in Pennsylvania, in a place where there were 96 other warehouses they were competing against for the same talent in a very small population place. And so we were trying various things because the population of this warehouse, there were something like 26 different languages spoken just within this one warehouse, right? So diverse population, probably not going to be on LinkedIn, right? And so you're, you're talking about hourly workers who might not be highly digital. Maybe you can get an ad in front of them, maybe not. Indeed was still a big source for them, but turned out word of mouth and referrals were their biggest source, and so we tried to just make it easy for people to remember that that brand is hiring in and around the area. So we went straight to sort of boots on the ground marketing after a short amount of time. Remember, an advertising mix is very important. And sometimes old school physical ads are just as good as or better 
than a digital ad. And so one of the things we did, and in addition to bus stop ads and billboards and other things, was find a location, a restaurant location, near a lot of the competitive warehouses. And we asked, hey, could we buy your menus for you and get you some new menus in exchange for just placing an ad on there that we're hiring with a QR code? And they said, that sounds great. And so we did, and it worked. And it's just one novel thing that we did that worked. It's a combination of all the things that made the campaign successful. That's one of the things that, and it, it's just supposed to inspire you to think outside the box and not go with what is necessarily deemed as normal. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, we hear all the time, people struggling with manufacturing or assembly or operators, people, technicians, how are we going to find these people? They're, like you said, they're not on LinkedIn, right? <laughs> so, and I love this. In your book, it has here a, a picture of the menu, Marie's Luncheonette menu with the QR code and the, the ad at the bottom. I just thought that was a really great story. That's one of the things, too, I really like about this book is you share several different stories in here. And one of the other stories that you talked about in here as well was the story on JCPenney's because a lot of us think, okay, JCPenney's, are they going to be like Sears and some of the other big, larger, what would you call retail outfits? Mm -hmm. Are they going to go by the wayside? And you had made the comment that, yeah, no, they're coming and making a comeback, right? That's right. And you said this in the book and you talk about some of the, the really innovative and, and they they talk about visual storytelling or you talk about visual storytelling in your book here and what JCPenney's did. Yeah, tell us about that. So JCPenney during COVID had sort of let their social recruiting channels languish a bit. You know, consistency over time is what makes a good social channel. And it just takes a little bit of consistency to seem relevant and to keep in the peripheral vision of your target audience on a regular basis. But they had kind of let that go. They were doing some personnel shifting and they had filed bankruptcy and and were doing a financial restructuring. They got bought out of bankruptcy. I'm not sure that's the legal terminology, but that's what happened by Simon Property Group, which is the world's largest shopping center owner. And then they had an opportunity to kind of reset and hit go again. So one of the first things we suggested was, hey, get these social channels back up and running. Let's make something beautiful and do some fun things there and get your audience re-engaged. And they were open to that, very successfully receptive. That is amazing. Yeah, you talked, in fact, you brought up a few points in there Uh about some of the strategies, if you will, that they used, employee spotlights. Right. I really liked when you you highlighted employee spotlights, oh, no pun intended, uh-huh. and then also the interactive content that they used, quizzes, polls, interactive posts. I mean, the, the great branding and talent marketing. It really is. And I think, too, that was one of the, one of, I read an article that you had posted, and I thought, oh, wow, I really want to speak with Craig. Your talent marketing and your talent branding concepts and strategies are unique, and they do extend beyond this very, almost like tunnel vision, Uh digital footprint we have in front of us right now, right? And I think as recruiters, especially this year, things have been a little slow. I think it's been a good time for people to refocus, maybe own tools and 
marketing strategies, things like that. And you hear a lot about, Mm -hmm. let's talk about that a little bit. The idea of employee advocates is not brand new, right? right? I mean, I started doing some of that kind of work in 2012. And a culture should be transparent. A company's organic truth should be relevant to the world that is interested in doing business with them, whether it's as an employee or as a customer. People are more engaged with brands that they understand the company's culture. And there's no better way to do that than through its people. And when you do employee spotlights, especially in the digital realm, you encourage those people and their friends and their families and their coworkers to also share those things because everyone loves recognition. And when you give employees a voice and permission to talk about the company's amazing experience as an employee and their great culture, then your best source of hiring, which is referrals, becomes more automatic, more organic, more easy to pursue because people understand what it's like to work in your organization through the people who are doing it. Interesting. Yep, you're right. I remember working for Motorola back in the late 90s and they had a program called Bounty Hunter and but they would spotlight do employee spotlights and they would have these tables set up Mm -hmm. where people could come in and fill out so you talk about employee referrals fill out forms with and bring in their friends resumes and whatnot and they would refer their friends and even if they didn't have, the, I mean, I don't know that they really had a monetary, I think they did on some positions, a monetary bonus that they would pay to their employees for some positions, mm-hmm. but others maybe not, but they would have like giveaways and gifts. And so even if someone just came and gave a, a resume, they might get a really nice mug or they might get a t-shirt or something, some mm-hmm. cool giveaways. You don't see that as much now, but it was a really effective way of recruiting. It is. And not only that, but like you mentioned in your book, when people are bringing in their their friends and acquaintances and people they've worked with in the past, they're going to stay because now they're working with people they want to work with. That's right. When I was doing sort of frontline recruiting, one of the questions I would ask an engineer or a software developer or an executive, if this job were two blocks from your house and your best friend worked there, what would you charge them to employ you? And would you take that job tomorrow, right? You remove all other roadblocks. And the thing that remains is, yes, that company's attractive to me. And yes, my my people work there. Speaking of people, let's talk about the pets. Yeah, that's a company called CA Technologies. Uh, Years ago, they were California Technologies, but they were the makers of middleware for banking software called CA7 and CA11, which until just recently, or maybe even still, was uh, a part of 90-some percent of every bank transactions that ever happened in the world. Uh, And so they were a well-known commodity, but they had been through kind of some rough times, some restructuring, some executive scandal, and they were having trouble hiring the tech people that they needed. And so I was brought in to kind of do a, a turnaround, which we did. We interviewed a ton of employees and executives to find out organically what's really interesting and good and lovable about the culture. And a few things came up that were just unique, like I hadn't heard that before anywhere else. And one of them was we really love that the company has pet benefits. 
<laughs> okay. What's pet benefits? That's interesting. Well, they would give the employees a day off for socialization with a new pet if they requested it, and it had to go through HR, so we knew when people were requesting it, and we devised a scheme to send them a little goodie bag of cheap corporate-branded pet tchotchkes, okay, so a, a water bowl and a bandana, and then the next step was to put in the bag which is also branded, a postcard that said, hey, congratulations on your new pet. If you are planning to celebrate by posting photos to the internet, we'd love to celebrate with you. Just tag us, hashtag life at CA, and show us show off your gear here. And so they did, and it worked. And we had people starting from all over the world to post with hashtag life at CA with pictures of their branded swag and their pet and so we expanded that program to new new babies and new homes and right other things that people would ask for time off for that the company allowed for and then it just grew and grew and got written up in several notable publications for the effectiveness of what a fun idea it was yeah i mean you're building an employee community really yeah Doing things like that. that that's a, yeah, I like that one. I like that story. We would take their photos and then repost them to our corporate channel so they got some notice and some verification that we we see it. Thank you. We appreciate you. And then just recognition. And, and sometimes that's all, you, that's all it takes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you bring that up in the book, too. You talk about recognition. I was doing a... a digital transformation project with Toyota, and they needed a, a brand turnaround for their financial services division. They had moved their headquarters from California to Texas and hired a bunch of contractors to do software development to kind of get ahead of the game here because they didn't know, didn't know the landscape yet, didn't know the community yet. And so they were just kind of shortcutting their process. Well, these highly paid contractors really liked their hourly rates. And so when it came time to try to convert them to full-time employees, they were reluctant. And so they were having a hard time converting. And so we were challenged with showcasing, showcasing why people liked to work at Toyota. And we did, recorded dozens and dozens of interviews with various levels of employees there and did a, a, a an interesting job of showing various reasons why it was great, right? Beyond just the on-campus drugstore and awesome gym and other perks, it was about continuous improvement and recognition of each other. Toyota is not a place where if someone said something to you in the hall that you wouldn't stop and have a conversation with them. It's a, it's a very, we recognize the value of each other type of organization. And there was something to that. And what happened was these interviews got played internally all across this giant campus, which was several buildings, but on the internal monitors on a regular rotation. And it made the desired impact. Slowly but surely, those contractors saw the value of being part of something bigger than just their hourly rate. And, and, and that got turned around. And then the other idea I shared in that chapter 
was actually from CA Technologies. We developed a thing called Refer a Friend Day there. And then I shared that with Toyota. And and it's just, Toyota would give away a car lease for referring a friend. So you'd get a car for a certain amount of time if you won this sort of lottery. But it was kind of a one-off thing, right? Not everybody got that. And so there were some complaints. I said, why don't you just make one of the days of the month refer a friend day and don't have any perks to it. Just recognize people for participating. And you could gamify it if you wanted to. Anyway, so that's been a really popular idea that I've shared with a lot of organizations. And it doesn't require any okay from anyone. It's just, it's not even, it's not even necessarily real. Just post it on social media. Wednesdays, refer a friend day. Refer someone who you love to come work with us. We want people just like you. Exactly. So like Taco Tuesday, yeah, refer a friend Wednesday. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And people start remembering things like that as well. Oh, that's right. Today's refer a friend day. Right. And not only that, but oftentimes too, when we're working for a company, a notable company, especially a large corporation, how often are we approached by people we know, friends and family? Hey, or do they have any jobs? I'm looking for the, you know, a new position, blah, blah. These people then can actually help their friends. And and most of us do want to help people that we know personally, right? Right. So having a day set aside for that reason is awesome. Well, and it's another way to advertise your job openings and that you're hiring on social media, right? Right. So it feels more like a give than an ask. Yeah. Right? Which is a, a kind of a big theme with me. Yeah. And it's it's just more fun than, hey, we're hiring, right? You post a social card about Refer a Friend Day or even a video, and that's better content than just, hey, we've got a job opening. Yep, exactly. Well, share with us real quick the story on Pizza Hut, and we'll move from from storytelling to a couple of other little points in your book, uh, like the five to one, give to ask. We can talk about that afterwards, but go ahead and share about the, the Pizza Hut story. Yeah, so many years ago, I say many, I've been doing this too long, <laughs> <laughs> right? But circa 2010, 2011, something like that. Pizza Hut was trying to get social and they had a lot of recruiters. They did a pretty good job of recruiting, but they wanted to take it to the next level. And they asked me to help build their recruiting university, which included kind of best practices for sharing things on social media. And that's where the first iteration of this five to one give to ask content ratio came into being. So it's something that I had believed, sort of the 80-20 principle for a long time, that you don't just ask for things on social media if you're trying to build a community. If you ask all the time, you're, you're going to burn out your list in terms of, right, if you look at email marketing, you don't just ask, you give all the time. And then every once in a while, you ask. So mm-hmm. five lessons, five fun facts, five listicles of things that might help someone find a new job whatever they are, you give five times before you ever say, oh, and by the way, we're hiring or, hey, refer your friend to this job. And because you've become a good network citizen and built trust in your community, you're much more likely to get referrals back when you ask for them or for people to pick up the phone when you call them or message them. And this was very successful for the Pizza Hut recruiters. They started getting more social. They had a plan. They had a ratio to follow. They knew what they needed to do on a weekly basis in order to be able to post that one ask every week or every two weeks. 
and 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 it's just easy to remember. And so that's one of the reasons it was very successful. What were some of the gives, if you would, like when you mentioned give five things? I mean, can you give a couple of examples? Oh, absolutely. So employee highlights that also offer some insight into what does this mean for you? What could you take away from what Patricia at our organization does? She's got this plan for being effective and active every day. Here's what, here's what that could do for you. So instead of, hey, read about our CEO on the cover of Forbes, it's, hey, here's a fun article or post about one of our people, and she shares how you can be more effective at what you're doing. So it's both an employee spotlight and a helpful hint at the same time. I, I love that sort of post. Interesting. Well, they have an ad, I think it is, right now, mm-hmm. running for, I can't remember what it's running for, but it re, um, refers to Kodak. Mm-hmm. And they talk about a woman who had started out as a janitor for Kodak years ago. Mm-hmm. And then she became CTO of the company because of their employee development programs that they had. I love that. If you mix that with a, not just, hey, we're hiring, but the inspirational message of anything's possible and consistency over time, it's it becomes very powerful. Exactly. Sticking to this five to one ratio, because I have never heard of it before, give us a little more information how that got started and, and what it refers to. I was kind of a an early adopter of social media for recruiting. I took LinkedIn apart when it came out. And uh, I had taught myself to code because I was recruiting technical people. Okay. So I taught myself to code and learned HTML and all the, all the tricks that you need to be able to be effective with SEO. And I was able to hang out in the chat rooms of all the tech people I was recruiting because I was kind of a legitimate user, not just a recruiter. I was asking relevant questions and posting helpful code snippets and, and things like that, hacks I found. And so I, I realized when that started to work, I wasn't just sitting there posting that we're hiring. I was helpful most of the time. And I got accepted as being a, a valid part of that community. And then every once in a while, oh, hey, and by the way, we're hiring anyone. So that kind of became the basis of my theory that if you give most of the time, then it's okay to ask because recruiters are both salespeople and recruiters at the same time, right? It's, it's a sales job. I had been in sales. I sold pharmaceuticals and hospital equipment before I ever got into recruiting. I realized, at least with me, that being pushy and just selling all the time didn't work. I needed to build relationships. I'm a relationship guy. And so the way to do that is to ask about other people and, and, and be helpful and, and listen. Right. And, right. And be thoughtful, not to just sell something all the time, including yourself. So that's, that's how it started. But I guess my question, though, too, on this, it's a great idea, but what, where did you come up with the actual ratio of five to one versus like three to one? Or Yeah, well, there, there's a famous book that comes from a famous study about the 80-20 principle that works in all facets of life, right? And so it, it's, it's also how I figure out how much to tip, <laughs> right? It's, right. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a 20%. And the rest of the time, you should be, you should be helpful. Okay. And that 20% of the time, you can ask. And the 80-20 rule, it, 
works with marriages. It works with everything. If you're if you're not the needy person all the time and you're giving and listening more, then that works. Now, saying the 80-20 principle in in a recruiting conference without a book to wave around about it doesn't necessarily stick with people. But I, I, I figured out over time, so one, one time I created the first ever hashtag chat on Twitter for recruiters. And I, and I started kind of talking about this when I said it's a five to one ratio of gives to asks. Well, that caught fire and everybody posted that. And so I'm like, okay, that's it. That's what we're calling it. Okay. That's good. I like that. Oh, thank you for explaining that. That's awesome. Another uh, term that you use in your book is empathy mapping. Uh-huh. So I wanted to ask you about that because as for as long as I've been recruiting, I don't think I've ever heard that term before. So uh-huh. let's talk about that for a moment. So that's a marketing utility that is used to understand customers and customer experience. Years ago, I was asked to be part of this group of futurists for IBM. Okay. So I was an IBM futurist with all these sort of fancy bloggers and Twitter innovators and other people. And we all went to New York to sit in the think tank and talk about the future of work and deconstruct it and decide sort of in this growing era of automation and social media and technology what does the future of work look like? And so I believe this is 2016, something like that, 2016, 2017. They took us for one of the exercises to the building where Watson was stored at the time. And so I, I got to go to the Watson building and sort of see Watson and get my picture taken with a Watson sign. And so, and they have these design thinking labs there. We got to break up into groups and literally go through what IBM people go through in their marketing and sales departments to understand their customers. And it's basically, it's you could draw it on a chalkboard or a whiteboard. You draw a big plus sign, giant plus sign, so you've got four quadrants, or you can do it like an X. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a, a few extra quadrants, draw a line through it. What you're really trying to get at is you're your audience is in the middle, okay? So in the middle circle of that diagram, you're trying to envision who you're trying to sell something to. All right, so in the case of recruiting, and I thought immediately, well, this is perfect for understanding who we want to advertise to in recruiting. You imagine, all right, who is the typical person for this job? So we're not trying to be, this is not a a DEI exercise, although it can be used for that. But we're trying to just at the basic level, what type of person does this job well in general, right? And so you can actually build diversity personas for that. And you can have several different characters for the same job. And you should. So in this case, you'll imagine, say, a Hispanic Latina engineer with a West Point degree. Okay, well, those are unicorns. They're hard to find, but... How old is the average person that does this? And at the time, we could find all this information on LinkedIn. They used to share this stuff openly, and so now they don't. But you can still find the information. Do they play soccer? Do they coach soccer? Do they have kids? Do they still live with their parents? What's the first thing they do when they wake up in the morning? Is it look at their phone? Would that be a very good time to have an ad or an email waiting for them? Right? Things like that. And then what are their pains? 
what are they concerned about? Are they more concerned about pay or is it the title that they really are interested in? Are they more concerned about a company that has really good benefits or a company that gives back to their community, right? What are the things that they're interested in and concerned about? And then how can we take what our company offers and showcase that to them to where they're answering their needs, right? So it's not just, hey, we're going to advertise our jobs to everyone. It's we're going to pick segments of the population and say, this job might be for you because of these things. And it's just a way to really zero in on what that job description should say, what that ad should say, where you should post things about that job. And right, people similar to your target audience should carry that message, interview them on video, things like that. So it's just a, a, a way to understand who you're talking to. No, I, I think that's fabulous. That's very interesting information. Like I said, I've never heard of it before. Uh-huh. So I think, it, in fact, it kind of ties back a little bit to a Maria's luncheonette, right? And the menu. Uh-huh. I mean, really, but you guys were kind of using some empathy mapping there as well, right? I, I've got an advertising degree, Denise, and I'm very proud that I actually get to use my degree for something that matters to recruiting, right? Yes. And the idea is that you should bring marketing principles to recruiting all the time anyway. Right. Right. And I think it's a very fun exercise, the empathy map, to do with your recruiting team. So you put this on a big board and give them all sticky notes of different colors and then Sharpies and say, fill in the quadrants. Who is this person? You've talked to them. You've recruited them. You work with them. Who is it? Fill it in. And they will have a blast with that. And they'll learn a lot about being more specific. It's about personalization. It kind of reminds me, like we were talking about earlier in this conversation, prior to utilizing the internet and LinkedIn and job boards and social media, (laughs) when people were, and you would know this, I mean, with an advertising degree, when people were posting jobs or looking for talent, I mean, they did a lot of what you talk about in this book. (laughs) And going back to some of those tried and true methods of talent marketing and talent branding, they're never going to go away. I mean, they're always going to be effective. That's right. But I think that people, again, I think we got some tunnel vision, though, when it came to digital marketing, right? And using social media and people, that kind of stuff kind of started falling off. Like you said, we need a mixture. We need a good mixture of uh, various methods of advertising to attract the right talent, especially when you're talking about large corporations Uh that are hiring people in all different positions, all different levels, organizations from operations to manufacturing, assembly, executive, marketing, people themselves, talent acquisition. I mean, yeah, you need uh, an advertising mix, like you mentioned. (laughs) Another chapter that I found very interesting in your book was branding yourself for success. (laughs) I really, I think that everyone can benefit from your insight and guidance here. And I believe, again, too, this book dynamic book. And I think that any corporation would be smart to purchase this book for their entire TA organization or HR organization as well. I have never created a Google Doc to highlight my own successes. And I thought that was a great idea. In fact, I want to do that. (laughs) Also, you talk about keyword stacking, which is another term I haven't heard before. Maybe I'm just like far behind the eight ball here, but 
for a professional profile. It's a brilliant suggestion. So let's talk about that for a moment, because I think that in addition to doing talent marketing and branding, we have to brand ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. We have to market ourselves. I wanted to make sure I got that chapter into this book uh, because I, I believe that there is something for everyone there, right? Job seekers, managers, salespeople can all use this and, and, and should. Anyone that needs to be public, right, and needs to have a public face, especially online, can benefit from branding themselves better, right? So job seekers, recruiters are going to go look at you. They're going to check you out. And so what do you look like? And same thing for recruiters. The people that you're trying to recruit will try to find you and try to look at you and try to understand you and try to communicate with you, right? If you don't have a good public persona or even something that is looks relatively or remotely accessible, you've got a lower chance of connecting with those people that you're really trying to hire. So as part of the face of the company, which I think recruiters are part of the front line of the company, they should be very active in putting themselves out there. And a lot of legacy uh, workers don't love this idea. And I get brought in to have conversations with big companies and maybe their franchise organizations who are retired or older business people who now have a second career as a franchise owner. And they, they know they need to be out there and on social media and brand themselves better. They're just reluctant to do it. People are private and people don't, don't want to bother, but it takes elbow grease, right? It takes consistency over time. And one of the things I did when I deconstructed LinkedIn was I figured out that it thrives off Google traffic. And because of that, it will always be searched like Google will. And because of that, search engines use a thing called proximity in searches, which is words that are near each other. So if you put your name near a location, because people still search local, even if it's a national thing, they'll still search nearby. Your phone does that for you automatically. So if you put your name near a location, near your company's name, and near the skills that you want to be known for, like I'm recruiting Java developers in Dallas, Texas. My name is Craig Fisher. Contact me at TalentNet Media. Several places in your LinkedIn profile, you will come up higher for people who are trying to recruit for Java developer jobs. Oh, and the word jobs, especially for recruiters, is very important because if I'm a job seeker, I have to use the word jobs. Otherwise, I'm going to get resumes when I do the search, right? Oh, very important distinction. And so this worked really well early on. Um, the internet is changing with natural language search. It still works. I still come up high in search results um, from my LinkedIn profiles for just about everything that I target. And people and organizations can all do this too. And if you can imagine getting multiple people in your company to do this in a concerted effort, you could save hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in advertising costs, for instance, because you would, you would cheat the search engine strategy. Now, LinkedIn didn't hate this idea. In fact, they didn't think it was cheating. They loved it and asked me and my team to go teach all of their salespeople about it. So I got to go around the country training LinkedIn sales teams for a little while, which was fun. 
Oh, I bet. I bet. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. About how to use LinkedIn. <laughs> that's amazing. I love it. Well, you cover, like I said, so much. And again, too, I haven't created my, my Google Doc yet, but I'm going to. So thank you for that tip. Yeah, let's talk about the theory behind that real quick. Okay, sure. If if you're in business of any kind, you should be taking a screenshot and adding notes to it in a, a Google Doc or a, an online PowerPoint, if you will, that can be paginated and searched. And every time someone gives you a good outcome or a pat on the back or a thank you, you did this great, take a picture of that, right? And put it in your little, here's what I've done lately book. And then you can go back and search over time, right? If you add a date to it in the notes and some keywords about it and and find that. And so when you have your quarterly review and some new manager says, what have you done for me lately? You can say, well, actually here, this is exactly what I've done for you. It's all right here. That's amazing. Good, good point. A good tip. Thank you. With respect to creating position descriptions and content, unbiased position descriptions. I mean, if you want to talk about that for a minute. So I'm currently still working on this project to, it's a, it's another digital transformation project for one of the world's largest financial company. They realized that their job descriptions were very old and they didn't really speak to the candidate very well, and they weren't attractive, and they have all this nonsense internal jargon in them that wasn't relevant anymore, and they had bias words all throughout them. So we put together a library of words that shouldn't be in any job description, which was an interesting exercise. And we trained 1,400 recruiters to write more interesting sort of intro marketing language for each of these jobs. And then we went and are physically rewriting the templates for every job family in the organization to give them an idea of what good looks like. So it's it's fun. It needs to be done. There are certain words that just don't attract females, for instance. And Can you give us an example? <clears throat> drive and driven are sort of just non-feminine words that you don't want to use. And that's a surprising one, right? Because it's in just about every job description you'll ever see. What would you use instead? A motivated. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I remember for one client, I was looking at one of their position descriptions and I mentioned to her, I said, do you realize you have the term must have written 37 times in this job description? <laughs> Is that... <laughs> I don't know who you're trying to attract here, but that's kind of, you know, I mean, just these, it's almost like a negative term. Right. And when you talk about bias, you mentioned a library of biased words to be removed. Do you have a, that library available? Yes, to paying customers. <laughs> okay. All right. No, that's that's good. That's good. I mean, because, I mean, we need this. There are lots of automated ways to do this. Okay. And what we found is that you can't just leave it up to automation because we tried everything. And a lot of companies like this very large financial institution, they don't allow their people to even have access to tools like that because there could be inherent bias in the creation of that tool. And so they're not reliable as far as always making sense, right? Somebody physically has to read it and very often rewrite it still. Interesting. 
Well, so your own query to an AI tool to rewrite a job description could be biased. Yeah. Right. You just, you have to, you have to really think and you can't, I mean, certainly if you've used chat GPT or BART or any of the other tools, you can't just take exactly what it gives you back and no. send that to anyone, certainly not turn it into a corporate organization. No. That just, it doesn't work. I have, I've used chat GPT. I don't like it as well as BARD. Uh-huh. When I've asked BARD for some information, it'll give me like three different options. Uh-huh. We just did a position description request on BARD for a CFO position we're working on right now. And it gave three different options and they were very different. Yeah. So we kind of like took a little bit of all three and created one from that. Uh-huh. So to your point, I mean... It gives you ideas, but you still have to have that human touch in there. That's right. Because like we've been talking about through this entire conversation. Yeah. Talent marketing and branding. I mean, your position descriptions are your your front line talent branding and marketing for your company when you're looking for people, looking to hire. So having a well-written, a well-crafted position description, you can't understate that. Something that I've talked about a lot. I I speak at a lot of seminars and conferences, and I I host a conference in Texas twice a year for recruiting industry people. And I talk about this is that you, in your job description, should speak to the candidate first. So you are this type of person. You're interested in these things. We are this, and we're looking for that. Think of what we could do together, right? Okay. Speak to the candidate first, and you've done yourself a better job. That's amazing. Great tip. Great tip. Love your book. Again, I can't, I mean, speak more highly about it than than what I already have. And oh, let's talk about just real quick before we wrap up here on this, though. We are talking about discovering Foursquare and its rewards. Foursquare. I'm curious. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about how that works with recruiting and, and talent acquisition. So years ago, a tool came out sort of in as a piggyback to Twitter that allowed you to check into places like Starbucks. And if you checked in enough on a regular basis, you could become the mayor of that establishment and you'd get rewards for it. I thought this was fun and we used it to check in all over the place because we're branding ourselves and so we're putting ourselves out there. And I'm also using every tool I can imagine to see if it has possibilities for recruiting. Yeah. Well, I was... A staffing firm owner at one point in Verizon asked me to help recruit engineers for them. And I had this idea that I think I can find engineers uh, that check in on Foursquare because Foursquare tweets out your check-in. And so, okay, I can find them on Twitter. They have biographical information on Twitter. And based on their other posts, I can tell if they are kind of a tech-key person or not. And... I figured out that a lot of engineers checked into the Starbucks across the street from uh, AT&T's headquarters. And so I spent a lot of time at that Starbucks after that, took my laptop there and checked in on a regular basis and became the mayor of that Starbucks. And so... (laughs) The mayor. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I was the mayor of the Starbucks. And after that, all the people that came over and checked into the Starbucks from AT&T would see a tip from the mayor saying, hey, try the latte. 
Also, I'm in the back corner hiring for Verizon if you're looking for a new job. Oh, my God. That is fabulous. That's a great story. Yeah. Oh, you, you have some great stories. Just thinking outside the box again. Yeah. Yeah. No, you have some great stories. And I thank you so much for sharing a lot of the stories. I've been recruiting a long time myself. I learned a lot from your book that I didn't know already. I'm going to be keeping it um, and referring to it often. Craig, thank you so much. This has been just a, a great conversation. And again, I really enjoyed reading your book, learned a lot. I'll be keeping it on hand. And I hope that um, you have a lot of success. Thanks for having me on today. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another insightful episode of Talking TA with Top Source Talent. We trust that our discussions has provided you with valuable insights and actionable strategies for your journey as a talent acquisition professional. Our mission is to be your go-to resource for staying ahead in the ever-evolving landscape of talent acquisition. Whether you're a seasoned recruiter or embarking on your recruitment career, our aim is to equip you with practical advice that elevates your day-to-day work. As we continue sharing valuable insights with you, we're excited to support your growth and assist you in building the best workforce for your team. Stay inspired, stay informed, and until next time, happy recruiting.